it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hello. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? I am Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Um, just if you want to get in touch with me, if you can't get through on the phones for whatever reason, or maybe you can't make a phone call, you can tweet me at Mary Walter Radio. Uh, there's a lot to talk about, obviously. There's every single day. I, I think it's going to be a slow news day, and then you wake up and you're like, what happened? Or it just starts late in the day, and it's just craziness. And it's I don't, I don't see it slowing down at all, especially get into uh, election season. One of the things we need to talk about, though, is what's going on with Israel and Hamas. So Adam Scott Bellows, who is the CEO of the Israel Innovation Fund, is now joining us. You can find him on X at Adam Scott Bellows, B-E-L-L-O-S. Adam, thank you for joining me. Uh, Mary, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with you today. Okay, so the first thing I want to start out with is is I want to go, let, let's go to, um, Eric, let, let's go to um, hmm, Rashida Tlaib, cut nine. I just want you to listen to this, Adam, because as I was going through this, I, 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 I have a question for you. So here, here is Rashida Tlaib. I want everyone to listen very carefully. All those that, uh, you know, from college students to those in the workplace, I'm getting the calls of people being uh, pushed to silence, being bullied. Uh, some people weaponizing uh, anti-Semitism in a way to silence voices. All of that needs to stop. You know, Americans have a right to speak up. Americans have a right to, to the institutions they work at or the people that represent them to say, look, this is my opinion. I believe you should support X, Y, and Z. Uh, it, again, we have to be able to make sure that as we look at all these forms of hate, that it is not being weaponized in a way to silence voices like myself and our, you know, many of the voices that are here. Um, am I the only one who's can actually smell the hypocrisy? You're definitely not the only person that can smell the hypocrisy. The one thing that we know about Rashida Tlaib is that if the weather says that the sky is blue outside, she'll find a way to say that the sky is orange. You know, she's been a supporter of the BDS movement, the Students for Justice in Palestine, the Muslim Student Unions. All these organizations have, have been shown to have ties and financial ties to Hamas. And all of these student groups have clearly used acts of violence and intimidation to silence Jewish students voices on campus. That's why we're seeing hearings in Congress that we saw over the last 72 hours. Um, you know, what, what's happened is, is that the Palestinian movement, the majority of that is falling apart because of the realities that were shown to be on October 7th. And, um, you know, Representative Tlaib has been a strong supporter of the Iranian regime and also Hamas. And now Hamas, you know, after this war, will probably go on trial for war crimes. This is a great example of a frantic woman not knowing what to say or do after her cause showed her hypocrisy. Yeah, and and the uh, the rest of this is it's. I thought, 
my goodness, suddenly the left cares about free speech. You know, wasn't Maxine Waters the one who was telling her followers that they should surround Trump supporters if you see them on the street and you get you surround them and you let them know that they are not welcome? And isn't it the left that told us that if um, who developed the concept of hate speech? So if I don't like something that you're saying, that's hate speech. You're a Nazi and I get to punch you. Wasn't that the left that did 150%. that? 150%. Yeah, 150% it was. And now that the left has been, I guess you could say, the the veil has been torn back or or we see the man behind the curtain and it's really Adolf Hitler or Khomeini. I mean, like, it's um, it's absolutely insane to not even recognize the hypocrisy of what the radical left is spewing now because it ended up being that they were the Nazis. And, and if you look at the tactics that the revolutionary socialist left or the progressive left has been using, they've been using the same tactics that the Nazis have used in during World War II and prior to World War II to silence opposition. It's no different also than what the Communist Party of China or, or the Soviet Union did. Uh, it is the same ideology. Look at the things that they're supporting. Follow the money yep. of their supporters. It's very clear. And, and I want to say that again. Follow the money. You know, yep. you, you look at the three university presidents that had to testify in Congress the other day, and, and you've seen, like, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars are being pulled from these universities. But I don't even think they're worried about it because they're getting hundreds of millions of dollars funded to them by Qatar. And, and as we know, Qatar has bought up more academic chairs over the past 30 years in America than any other country. So I want to just say it again. Follow the money. Who are these people being supported by and what are they supporting? And it's clear that they're supporting absolutely radicalized leftist Islamic programs or Islamist programs that are meant to to perpetrate an un-American agenda, so to speak, or an anti-American agenda, an anti-Western agenda. So I I want to talk about that. I wonder if it is starting to backfire on them now. Uh, Ross Stevens, the founder and CEO of Stone Ridge Asset Management, uh, has now decided that he is withdrawing a $100 million gift to the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, It was given in 2017 to help establish a center for innovation and finance. And earlier, this is not the first time he's done this. He earlier redirected a different $100 million gift from Penn's business school to the University of Chicago. So now they just lost a $100 million donation. And if you look, there's an interesting thread on TV from the uh, Daily Pennsylvania on TV on on, on Twitter um, about from the Daily Pennsylvanian. And you can see how this happens if you look. Yesterday at 541, the Daily Pennsylvania reports that a university spokesman said there's no board plan for imminent leadership change. 608, half an hour later, you've got the governor of Pennsylvania saying that the trustees should meet to determine whether or not President McGill's comments reflect the views and values of the board and the university. And a half hour after that, at 631, the Wharton Board of Advisors is calling on the university to change leadership. So in less than an hour, the message changes from nothing to, yeah, we're looking at changing leadership. And you get to 12.04 a.m. when you've got John Huntsman, uh, who is a former alum and a former United States ambassador, calling for her removal. And six Republican Congress members from Pennsylvania also called for her to be removed. This, none of those women are going to withstand this. They're all going to get fired. So is this starting to backfire? You know, they were caught with their pants down. 
you know, perpetuating yeah. Jew hatred and anti-Semitism. So in terms of damage control and also uh, the, the, the dean of Penn, you know, made a statement revising what she said in Congress as damage control. But I don't think financially, I mean, listen, many Jewish donors have started to pull their gifts from universities and, and the endowments that they've given for chairs. I don't know if it's a good thing because Qatar can just go in and buy up more chairs and control these universities. We're, we're looking at the Islamization uh, in a way uh, of, of the American university system, and it's starting uh, from the top down. I don't know if it's going to backfire on them yet. And I can tell you right now, one of the things that's going on in the Jewish community is that people are discussing sending their kids when they're 18 more to Israel for gap year programs to go to the army and then to go to university. So there might be a huge exodus of Jewish college students in North America, especially to some of these elite schools. Um, there's a lot of questions that are yeah. going to have to be asked and answered. I can't tell you whether or not this is going to have a major effect on the university system or not. What I can tell you is, is that there will, they'll always be able to find funding, especially foreign funding, that, that definitely wants to promote some type of academic anti-American mm -hmm. uh, agenda. Uh, but I would be remiss to say this can't hurt them. I mean, it's definitely harming the reputation. But what we're seeing is, is that American elites, a part of the ivory tower, have been bought and have been bought off and have been putting professors in crucial roles, perpetuating an un-American ideology that is very anti-Western, that is creating, you know, the generation beneath me to be the generation that's praising people like Osama bin Laden on TikTok. Exactly. And, and we're Adam, we're gonna we're just gonna we're just gonna take a quick break here. We're gonna come back. I wanna talk about um cease the calls for ceasefire. And then I have one quick question for you to kind of sum this up and tie it all together. We're speaking with Adam Scott Bellos. He's the CEA of the Israel Innovation Fund. You can find him on X at Adam Scott Bellos B E L L O S. More coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The United States must make it clear, as the country that funds Israel to the tune of billions of dollars every year, no more war, no more bombings. We must at long last have a permanent ceasefire that guarantees the security, peace, and justice for Palestinians and Israelis alike. Joining us is Adam Scott Bellows, the CEO of the Israel Innovation Fund. Adam Scott Bellows on X. Uh, Adam, that right there was valedictorian Ilhan Omar. Um, And and she's calling for a ceasefire. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was there not a ceasefire in place on October 6th? Uh, There was a ceasefire in place on October 6th, and we recently just got out of a ceasefire that Hamas violated, which is why the fighting has resumed. it's the most hypocritical, excuse my language, asinine thing to be suggesting at this point in time. And it really showcases the lack of understanding of the realities on the ground that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party has. Yeah, it's 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 all one sided. Let's talk about what's happening on the ground. We've seen some visuals come out of I saw some video of uh, Israel starting to flood the tunnels that that Hamas has has dug under all of Gaza. Um, and they are flooding those now. I don't know if they're flooding all of them in certain areas. How do they know that they're not flooding the hostages, though? How do we know that um, Hamas didn't leave hostages in there because Israel said we're going to flood the tunnels, which I don't understand that. How do we know that they're not killing their own people and the Palestinians are getting out? Well, I mean, there was always this risk even before we sent in ground troops that when we were bombing Gaza from the air, that there was a possibility that hostages could be part of the collateral damage. I assume based on uh, the fact that we were able to risk so much to try to get this last group of hostages out, I believe we got 47 of them out, uh, something like that, or close to that. Um, I I believe that if we're flooding the tunnels, it has to be for a major security purpose, probably because we're unable to locate the the subterranean tunnels via the air, or this might be the actual best way to flush out, so to speak, the uh, fighters or the high command that could be hiding underground. Now, we saw that picture yesterday, and the left is losing its mind because Israel posted a picture, put out a picture of all these Hamas fighters, and they're in their underwear with no shirts on. Two guys have – two or three guys have shirts on, and the left is losing its mind. It's, oh, that's terrible. It's inhumane. It's humiliating. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is war. War tends to be inhumane and humiliating. Uh, That's one of the things. Um, And at least they're not being – I'm pretty sure that the events of October 7th, were inhumane. Right. Um, I, I I don't really see the, the 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 inhumanity of captured fighters being stripped to make sure they're they're not booby trapped. It's pretty regular military action. 
I, well, and that's that's the point. But there, it doesn't matter about the truth. It just matters about the optics, right? And Israel has to know that no matter what they put out, the left is going to twist it to criticize Israel and to support Hamas. And you know, they still will tell you, you know, they 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 poo poo, you know, the the women who were being paraded naked through, you know, taken back as hostages and were being spit on. Uh, and raped and uh you know the men men were being raped too i mean this and and we're we're somehow memory hauling that and it's all about a picture of men with no shirts i've seen that at the beach right so i don't know what was so humiliating about that now i ask you to tie it in with with the the flooding of the tunnels is that how they got them did those guys all scurry out like a bunch of rats and that's how they got them uh, no, they, these uh, I, I actually uh, know exactly what footage you're talking about because I shared it to social media uh, quite shortly after that footage was released on Telegram. Um, uh, those were fighters that actually surrendered to the IDF. This is before the tunnels were flooded, if I'm correct. And what's happening is is that the IDF, being the elite fighting force that it is, uh, is, is accomplishing the job of just complete and utter destruction of Hamas. Yeah. And uh, the the fighters are seeing it, and they're realizing that this is a lose-lose situation. And I, I just want to go back to what you were saying about um, talking about, like, the situation of these gentlemen being stripped and, and tied uh, as being inhumane. And I, and I just think, like you said, the left will change, uh, you know, anything to fit their story, uh, as well as ignore the things that don't fit their story. And we've seen this Uh, especially with Rashida Tlaib and the rest of the members of the squad who have failed to still condemn the heinous sexual violence that was perpetrated against men. And now we know, I'm sorry, women. And now we know men on October the 7th. It's the same type of hypocrisy from the UN and the UN Women Council. You know, I think we're at a point and I think Jewish people and Israelis are at a point where the we realize that the majority of the world understands what's going on. The change is that, you know, the left has been consolidating for 20, 30 years, using the Israel-Palestine conflict as the main thing to perpetuate their ideology and cause, tying everything from the civil rights movement to immigration in the United States back to the Palestinian issue with Israel. And, you know, as time goes on, I don't see this gaining momentum, I actually see this weakening the left, because eventually Jewish Americans are going to have to say, am I going to be voting for the same person that Rashida Tlaib is voting for? You know, this Israel issue may be the actual thing that completely changes the entire trajectory of the next election. So I I do think that you're right that the left likes to twist things uh, and use it to their advantage, but I think they've overused it to their advantage. It's like that guest that you offer a drink of, like, good whiskey when they come over to your house. They don't just have one drink. They try to drink the bottle, if that makes sense. Right, right. Well, I don't invite those people over. Uh, And that kind of – we've got, like, a minute and a half here. It dovetails with what was going to be my last question for you is, why did it take so long for the Jewish population in this country to wake up to what the Democrats stood for? How did they not see this? Could you rephrase the question? I apologize. Why did it take so long for the Jewish population in this country to not see what the Democrats truly stand for? My my Jewish friends, I would say 90 percent of them vote Democrat, always have, always will. And it's always puzzled me. I don't get it. And now they're like, oh, like they're starting to wake up a little bit. And And I'm thinking to myself, 
How, what, what took you so long? We've got one minute. Yeah, no problem. I actually really think the issue is social issues, and that's been the main thing that has always prevented a majority of the Jewish community from voting uh, non-Democrat or Republican. Uh, Jews tend to be more liberal. They they also tend to be pro-choice, and uh, but they've always agreed with the Republican stances on Israel. And I, I think that has a big thing to do with it. I also think the fact that you've had the rise of this progressive wing um, has has definitely woken up a lot of Jews. Also, I mean, very simply put, we had four years of global quiet. And the second yeah. that President Biden was elected, it was yeah. global conflict after global conflict. Right. And, and, and it's very clear. I mean, within yeah. a year, there was a war in Israel. In- Adam, Adam, I, I'm sorry, I got to cut you off. But thank you so much for joining me. Adam Scott Bellows, find him on exit Adam Scott Bellows. And uh, let's talk. 866-408-7669. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. There was a moment during yesterday's congressional hearing on anti-Semitism when I was asked if a call for the genocide of Jewish people on our campus would violate our policies. In that moment, I was focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution, which say that speech alone is not punishable. I was not focused on, but I should have been. The irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. Ah, yes, that being the president of the University of Pennsylvania, Liz McGill, walking back her comments that she had made earlier that went viral Uh, And it wasn't just her. We had uh, President Gay of Harvard and President Kornbluth of MIT as well, failing equally as miserably, stepping on the rake at every opportunity. And now there is a call. The House has announced an investigation into universities over absolutely unacceptable response to rampant anti-Semitism. Now, I will say, and I want you to jump in here, 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. I will say that I think McGill's getting it harder because she apologized. She put that video out. And they say you never apologize, right? So she. I, I wonder if the other two are just hanging back to see how it goes, to see what's what's going to happen. And it is not going well uh, for uh, Liz McGill. Uh, as I said with Scott Bellis, our last guest, that um, Penn is losing a million dollar, hundred million dollar donation over what she said in that anti-Semitism hearing. Can you imagine having a hundred million dollars to donate to your alma mater? Can you even imagine? And this is his second hundred million dollar donation. Wow, dude. Uh, Ross Stevens, the founder and CEO of Stone Ridge Asset Management. Uh, he was an, un- he's a Penn undergrad alum. He gave it in 2017 to help establish a center for innovation in finance. He uh, writing in writing um, 
to Penn, Stephen wrote, it's permissive approach to hate speech calling for violence against Jews and laissez-faire attitude toward harassment and discrimination against Jewish students would violate any policies of rules that prohibit harassment and discrimination based on religion, including those of Stone Ridge. In a letter from his lawyers to the University of Penn, uh, they allege that the school has violated the terms of the limited partnership agreement, including its anti-discrimination and anti-harassment policies. Now, this is the second time he's clawed back a $100 million donation from UPenn. So you think they would learn. This is the second time he's done that. The letter uh, concluded by offering to discuss the matter further, but a source close to the situation told Axios that the current intention is to withdraw the gift permanently. So I'm curious. I want to know if any of you, have you like checked out your alma mater, like their position on this, what's going on at your school? If you know, cause a lot, most of us didn't go to the Ivies, right? But your school, cause I've done it. I've gone and checked, uh, or, or where your kids have gone or your kids are going just to see what's going on. Your kids are coming home for, you know, Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's. They're going to all going to be coming home. And, um, I, I'm curious as to how many of you want to have the discussion of what's going on on their campuses. And would you go so far as to pull your kids out if that were happening on one of your kids' campuses? 866-408-7669. Now, this guy, uh, this is cut five. This is Christopher Rim. He's the CEO of Command Education and College Admit, and he's a college admissions consultant. He talks about students now trying to get out of some of these schools. The biggest thing is, you know, so many students are disappointed. Students are trying to transfer campuses um, or even schools. That's what I'm seeing right now. We've helped students who got into Columbia, into Harvard, and especially after uh, yesterday, President Gay's refusal to draw the line on a lot of this threatening um, hate speech, um, students are calling in. They're telling me, Chris, I loved this university before, but now... I don't care what school it is. I am not going to stay here at this Ivy League school, no matter what the prestige right. is. Yeah, and that that those dulcet tones of Brian Kilmeade right there at the end. This was on his show on Wednesday. Uh, so yeah, students are getting out. Listen, I, I think that the Ivy League education has lost a lot of its cachet very quickly. You can, your kid can go, or maybe you know that you can go to a non Ivy League school that has a great alumni network and strong alumni ties and get a great job. And how many of you donate to your to your school? Maybe not like Ross Stevens, you can't, you're not donating $100 million, but you do donate on a regular basis or have donated in the past. And, you know, have, have you pulled back? 866-408-7669. Because I can tell you, um, so my alma mater, I, I looked it up and I haven't seen anything about, you know, anti-Semitism on campus because it's a Catholic school and um, it's not Jesuit. So I can't imagine that the priests would put up with any kind of nonsense like that at all, which I'm glad. I'm glad for. But I do have friends, and I I don't have the money. I work in radio. (laughs) I don't have the money to donate to my alma mater. I just don't. And, you know, maybe maybe when I die, after hoarding all my money, I'm going to be one of those people who dies, you know, super rich. (laughs) And nobody ever knew it, you know, because I, I still, you know, reuse my plastic baggies and stuff. Um, you know, maybe maybe I'll give them give them some money. But I have friends who do donate, friends from college, and who, who've done very well for themselves. And they stopped donating over all the woke nonsense. 
They're like, no, it's supposed to be a Catholic school. And they've pulled back. One of them had a, had a fund, had an endowment uh, for kids whose parents, um, while they're in school, the four years that they're in school, if a parent is diagnosed with cancer, because one of my roommate's dad's uh, was diagnosed with cancer while she was in school and she had to, she almost had to drop out. So she, she had to move out of housing. She had to commute from home. Like there, there were a lot of things. And, and so this helps them stay in school, but they pulled it and the, and the school wanted to know why. And they told them, they're like, go woke, go broke. That's it. There are other places we can spend our money and it's not here. So I'm curious if you've made any changes, have your kids, what have your kids told you of what's going on on campus? Any of anybody's kids want to get out and it doesn't have to be an Ivy league school. This could be any school where this is happening. Maybe, and I know kids who wanted to get out because of all the woke nonsense that's been happening. You know, conservative kids, because they got treated horribly, harassed and, and, you know, shut down and silenced and censored. And that was okay because they're Trump supporters, so it's all right. Or because they're conservative, so nobody cared. Nobody cared about that. It's finally taking this for the left to suddenly be interested in free speech. So it's a very interesting turn of events. And I think we're going to see this play out um, as, as time goes on here. You also have Congress that is in, launching an investigation into the universities over absolutely unacceptable response to rampant anti-Semitism. The House Committee on Education and Workforce, led by Virginia Fox, um, and the, she said the disgusting targeting and harassment of Jewish students is not limited to these institutions, and other universities should expect investigations as well, as their litany of similar failures has not gone, gone unnoticed. Why, why are we giving money? I would love to see them. You know, why are we giving Harvard that has a huge, these Ivy League schools have huge endowments, huge. Why are we giving them money? Maybe we should stop doing that. Maybe that would be a good thing to stop giving them taxpayer money. Might, that might be the, the way to go with all of this. Now, um, you know, coming back, I want to talk to you also about another organization that you hear a lot from. That is a darling of the left that very well may have stepped in it when it comes to this, you know, acceptance of anti-Semitism because they've never been held to account for it in the past. And now suddenly they're being held to the same standards that they've held others to all along. And I have to say, it is kind of fun to sit back and watch, you know, watch karma come right back around and, and kick him in the butt. You, you eventually get to the point where your speech restrictions are so unattainable that they, they eventually tar- you're targeting yourself. And that's what's starting to happen here, which in a way I think is kind of good. 866-408-7669 is my number. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I was happy to see people breaking the siege and throwing down the shackles of their own land and walk free into their land that they were not allowed to walk in. The people of Gaza have the right to self-defense. That, 
that little sweet thing, is Nahad Awad. This was actually set on November 24th, and it's only picking up steam now. He is the executive director and co-founder of CARE. We hear a lot about CARE, the Council of uh, American Islamic Relations. And this was in a convention that was held outside of Chicago the 24th and 25th of November. And um, he went on to accuse the uh, American Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, of controlling the U.S. government. He said uh, APAC and its affiliates have been controlling the United States government and the United States Congress. And if someone says, oh, Nihad said this about Congress, I tell you, yes, I say it today and I will say it tomorrow. Unless we free Congress, we will not be able to free Palestine. It is amazing. They're taking advantage of the ignorance of so many people who have no clue about history. I know I, I love history, so I'm a dork. I love history. But when I was in school, we had to take history in high school. We had to take it. When I was in college, you had to have at least one history course or once one year yeah. One semester of history. Um you had to do it. Now it's no longer requirements in many places. So these kids don't know about what was offered in 1947. They don't know that there was a two state solution offered and uh, Palestinians turn it down. You know, they're calling for a ceasefire, but there was a ceasefire in place on October 6th. So your universities are making your kids dumber. Uh, 866-408-7669. Roy listening on WVGA in Valdosta, Georgia. Roy, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome. Greg, good to be here. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was was telling your screener that, you know, during that hearing, uh, one of the uh, questionnaires said, would it be uh, hateful speech if we were to uh, throw a black group in there or, say, yes. Hispanic or Native American? And they still would go back to their talking point of what they think it should be, not a yes or no answer. Well, you know, but it would be a resounding yes. It's hateful speech if it was a black person or, say, Hispanic and they they need to get rid of these people. I mean, uh, in any organization where you work, if you spout that type of language, you're gone. And there's uh, and that sticks to you. You can't get a job anywhere else if you've got that type of uh, conduct in your background. And you know, I, I really in the students, if the students protest like this and get physically violent, then they should be removed from the campus and never be allowed to enroll again. And one other thing about the credibility of the, the Mr. Stevens that's donating the $100 million. Yes. I, I read a thing this morning that it's under consideration. Well, he said he was going to do it, and now his credibility is on the line. He needs to pull that money, make them hurt. Because they're they're not going to change in, until they really hurt. Yeah, well, he said he I'm was open. You. He said he was open to talking to them. The letter that was sent by his lawyer said we are open to discussion. But people yeah. uh, within the know uh, told Axios that the plan is to pull it. So well, I guess we'll yeah. see. We'll it's, see it's, it's it's only going to get um, uh, noticed if he pulls the money. If he doesn't pull the money then it'll be like swept under the carpet and, and they'll play nice for a while. And, uh, but when they say we're going to take credible action or well, credible action is firing somebody, don't say credible action, say we're going to remove people if they uh, behave like this. And yeah, you're- that'll, that'll get attention. 
I, I agree with you. And I'm going to expand on this, Roy. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I have a, have a wonderful uh, holiday coming up and um, a great new year as well. So, so here's the thing. I agree with him. I, I'm a big free speech fan. I, when it comes to liber- that, I'm a libertarian. You could say what you want. I have the right to not listen to you. I can change the channel. I can walk away. But the problem is, is the left has set up these rules of hate speech, right? Hate speech didn't exist 10 years ago. Now it's said on college campuses, if you're saying something I don't like, that's hate speech and you're harming me. So I get to lash out at you. And then there's no repercussion for my actions, especially if I lash out at like an anti-abortion group on campus, uh, college Republicans. If there's how many times have we seen uh, conservative speakers on campuses get shouted down, right? And how many of you pulled any kind of donations to your schools then? Right. Is, is this what it took to do that? I wonder how many people started pulling donations to your schools back then. Got a couple minutes here. 866-408-7669. So and, and, and he made a great point. Rob made a great point there that if it when they when I think it was Elise Stefanik who was questioning and she said, you know, well, what if this was a, a black student? If we were talking about you calling for genocide of black people. Would that be OK? And she wouldn't answer the question because they can't because they were very ill prepared for this. And I will also say is this is what happens when you hire based on diversity, kind of like, you know, our vice president based on diversity instead of qualification and ability. This is what happens. It's all about DEI. It's all about, um, you know, liberal talking points. And they've created, as I said earlier, a hierarchy of speech that they can't maintain. Because eventually you were at the top and now you're not. Let's very quickly go to Jim in Portland. Jim, I have about a minute here, a minute and a half. How are you? Welcome to the Brian uh, Kilmeade Show. Oh, thanks, Mary. Um, I was um, thinking uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, her, uh, that, I think it was the first clip at the top of the first hour. And um, uh, it, it seems like uh, her idea of free speech is uh, she gets the first word, the last word, the only word. And if she doesn't. It's suppression. I mean, that, that I'm a little cynical, but that really is how it struck me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But again, and I, I hate to keep going back to this, but we, the parents, have raised a generation where words are violence. You know, the old, we were raised with sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And sometimes they mm-hmm. do, but you learn to walk away, right? Free speech. You know, the KKK got to march in Skokie, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't 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 mean that I have to attend the march. It means that I could do something else that day and just leave them with an empty street, right? Yeah. But that doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. Now, if you're saying something or marching for something I disagree with, I get the right to attack you, and nothing happens. Yeah, they don't respect the counter argument. They don't uh, respect. I mean, what's happened to the marketplace of ideas? I mean, yeah. that's sort of what this is about, and uh, that's got to be protected. Yeah, well, there is going to be a an investigation, which is good. The House, it seems to be behind this, because this is one thing that you're seeing both Republicans and Democrats get in on together. And I like that. Jim, thank you so much. I, I appreciate the call. Thank you for joining me here. All right. Got a lot more to say. Boy, do I have a lot more to say. Always a lot more to say. Never enough time. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the 
Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. You can find me on X at Mary Walter Radio if you want to leave some comments as we go along here. Uh, coming up later this hour, Brett Tolman will be joining us. He's a former federal prosecutor, and uh, we're going to talk to him about the Hunter Biden issue. So it's got a little bit of a legal problem, uh, the Trump trial, um, and so much more. And a really scary case that's working its way through the Supreme Court this week, and it's going to affect the outcome will affect every single American, everybody, and nobody's paying attention to this. So we're going to do that. But right now we are joined by Sean Davis, the CEO of the Federalist. You can find him on X at Sean M D A V. Sean, thank you for taking the time to join us. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me today. It's an honor to be on. Uh, I'll bet you say that to all the girls. Um, The uh, Daily Wire, the Federalist in the state of Texas, joined into a lawsuit against the U.S. State Department this week. This is a big deal against something that I think is flying under the radar. What is the lawsuit about? So in short, it's about the First Amendment and the right uh, that we have both as journalistic publications and as citizens of this country to say what we like without our, our freedom of speech being abridged by the federal government. And, and in this case, um, we are suing the Biden administration, specifically the State Department, for efforts that they undertook, technologies they developed, um, and then later handed out to censor us uh, at the Federalist, to censor the Daily Wire, and prevent our journalism from being heard. And in a lot of these instances, uh, the State Department uh, was handing out grants uh, to organizations that were bragging about using uh, uh, the money to censor facts and censor publications that they didn't like. This is something that the left does a lot is they come up with these lists. You know, look at the Southern Poverty Law Center, I think is probably one of the first ones where they get they get endowed by somebody they get money from some some leftist who has a lot of money and they form these organizations. And they're suddenly the the end all be all of the final say of who's safe, who's real, who's not, who you should stay away from. And shockingly. It's always conservative outlets or groups that get dinged as being hate groups or publishing fake information, uh, etc. So the State Department, though, this is a little bit different because this is against the State Department. This is a little bit different than suing like the Southern Poverty Law Center, than suing a private group, because the State Department has no authority over domestic affairs. That's, that's so, correct. You actually So how it. do they do it? Uh, uh, not legally uh, is how. So, yeah, so the State Department, first off, uh, isn't allowed to be meddling in, in domestic policy. Um, second, uh, this particular program that they were working on is funded by Congress explicitly to tackle foreign propaganda. So their their job is to help prevent, say, the communist Chinese from peddling propaganda in America. Which, you know, maybe not a bad idea for, for the, the federal government to be looking out for malevolent uh, foreign actors trying to propagandize the American people. But at the same time, they're forbidden uh, from doing that to the domestic population, and yet uh, we believe that's exactly what they did. And in one instance, you were talking about lists. They actually did use lists. There's a group called the Global Disinformation Index, 
which put together a list of what it called the most risky and the least risky sites or publications. And it had us, it had uh, the Daily Wire, it had the New York Post, I believe, as the most risky uh, sites for disinformation, while at the same time saying the least risky sites were places like the New York Times and the Washington Post. And what I found amazing about that was uh, over at the Federalist, we were the ones who busted the Russian collusion hoax. We busted the Kavanaugh rape hoax. We busted a lot of the COVID-19 origin hoaxes. And yet these other publications, which were peddling those lies, and they were outright lies, they got the, the seal of approval while the same entity using State Department funding was calling us risky and unreliable. And it's just Orwellian in its audacity. So this this seems to me, if I'm following the ball, that this is pretty much what they did with Twitter and Facebook and social media, right? The government knows that they can't censor our First Amendment rights, but they can get someone else to censor our First Amendment rights. So they use another group. They use a pass-through, basically, you know, kind of like Hunter and money and going to jail. You know, they get a pass-through. And and that's how they do it. So it the crux of it, though, it really is if you follow it back, it's the federal government that is violating our rights illegally. Correct. And, and we're focused on the federal government here. And, and all we want is for this illegal, uh, anti-constitutional behavior to stop. And, and you nailed it. What they were doing is the State Department with tax money was developing technologies and putting together working groups and kind of censorship hubs within the federal government and then farming out all of their technology and all of the censorship uh, to other entities. And um, they might have thought they were being really cute and clever, but the federal government cannot outsource using taxpayer money things that it's not allowed to do itself. And yet that's exactly what they were doing. So how did you guys figure this out? Well, it's uh, thankfully through great reporting from some center-right outlets. So we we got our first inkling. Oh, oh gosh, don't quote me on the date. I think you know late twenty-two, early twenty-twenty-three, um, from this global disinformation index. And I think it was Gabe Kaminsky at the Washington Examiner who who first reported it that they had put us basically on a blacklist. Um, along with Daily Wire, along with New York Post and some others of, of entities that uh, they didn't want getting advertising and they didn't want getting exposure. And when we saw that and when our attorneys, uh, the New Civil Liberties Alliance, started looking into everything, they kind of found like a Russian nesting doll of, of censorship activities going on where they think they'd have one and they'd, they'd pull it out and look, look at that, there's another activity. We believe we've identified um, just a handful of over, I think, 350 uh, different outfits and institutions that were involved in this. So we're, we are, to mix my metaphors here, <laughs> we're looking at just the tip of the iceberg. We think there's a whole lot more there um, based on just the little inklings that we've seen so far. Yeah. So, okay, to kind of put a bow on this, because we have other things that I do want to pick your brain about. Uh, Where does this go? I mean, yes, you sue the federal government. You just want them to stop doing this. That sounds great. But if they've done it before and we know they've done it with social media, they have no qualms, I don't think, about continuing to do this. How do we prevent it? How do we make sure they stop? Right. So there, there's another case already working its way to the Supreme Court now, Missouri versus Biden, where the state of Missouri went in and was having issues with the Biden administration doing the same thing. Uh, the, the state of Texas has joined with us. And um, what our goal is, is to get the federal courts, you know, whether the trial court, appellate court or Supreme Court, 
to enjoin the federal government permanently from engaging in that, these activities. Um, and at that point, uh, the, the Biden administration, the federal government, the censorship industrial complex, they're going to have to make a choice whether they want to uh, openly defy the Supreme Court and federal court rulings, or whether they actually want to abide by the Constitution and the laws and stop meddling in, in the free speech rights of, of citizens and journalists in this country. Yeah, I think they want to keep meddling. That's just me. I I think there's a lot of people, you know, further down, aides and, and the, you know, the, the bees, the busy bee workers who are more than happy with, with some censorship of conservatives. Absolutely. All right. I do have some news of the day that I would like to get into with you in uh, especially 2024 with the uh, election coming up. So we're going to get to that next with Sean Davis of The Federalist here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is Biden's ego talking. Okay, if you think there are other people who can beat him, step aside. I I know he thinks he's got this in the bag, but the polls say otherwise. I want Biden stepping in to beat Trump the way I want him stepping in to defend me at a bar fight. (laughs) I appreciate you caring, but I don't like our chances. Uh, Biden's not getting any younger. He's not going to get any more popular, and he's not getting a new running mate. So please, Mr. President, give America the ultimate Christmas gift and step aside. Wow, that was Charlemagne the God on Comedy Central. Uh, Sean Davis, the CEO of The Federalist, here with us. So I want to know from you, since you are deep in the weeds and all of this, and you're at Capitol Hill all the time, you're at the White House, you're, you're, you're in the know. Do you see any scenario in which Trump and Biden are not the lead candidates in 2024? Oh, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely scenarios where that happens. I, I personally don't think. That's the most likely, um, but obviously Democrats are starting to get uh, uncomfortable with Biden. His policies are a disaster. He's deeply unpopular, which is why Trump's uh, winning in so many of the most recent polls. Um, but I, I think the biggest problem for Democrats with Biden right now, it's not actually Joe Biden. It's Kamala Harris. If they could just get rid of Joe Biden and then the VP could step in and be an easy stand-in, popular, yeah. uncontroversial, that would work for them. But they can't just get rid of Biden. They have to get rid of both of them. I, I have a hard time seeing how they're actually going to pull that off. And so for that reason, I, I, if, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I would bet on Biden being the nominee. See, I, I'm with you. And I think that if Kamala Harris was older – you know, I don't know, Bernie Sanders old, she would maybe um, drop out and get a new house on Lake Champlain on an island somewhere. Right, but they can't do that to her. I mean, she's she's right. young. She's in her prime. I mean, her husband clearly likes the, the trappings of the office there. Um, the problem for her is that nobody likes her. Recall that when she ran for president in the Democrat primary, she had to drop out before a single vote had been cast because the polling was so low because people found her so grating and unlikable. And unfortunately for her, that's not a problem you fix uh, when you're that age, when you're uh, at this point in politics. She's kind of stuck, and and she's the big, big obstacle to the Democrats getting Biden out of the way. Uh, The same way they got Bob Torricelli out of the way, I think it might have been 2002 in New Jersey when he was running for Senate. The guy was tanking. He was going to lose to a Republican. So they just, out of nowhere, like weeks before the election, just plopped him out, threw in Frank Lautenberg, and they were good to go. 
I don't think they can do that this time around. Oh, good old Frank Lautenberg, the man who wanted to tax toilet paper in New Jersey. That was not super popular. Um, he considered it, he considered it a luxury. Uh, very quickly, who goes to jail? Trump, Hunter, or neither? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, you you stumped me. I don't I don't think either do. Um, I I think the 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 D.C. court where uh, this this total left wing judge Tanya Chutkin's overseeing his trial there. I think that's absolutely going to lead to a conviction. It's, it's a Washington, D.C. jury. Um, from that pool, you're, you're getting a conviction. Um, Hunter's going to get pardoned before uh, Joe Biden's presidency is over. So I, so I don't think either of them go. So if, if Hunter gets pardoned, though, doesn't that really kind of it puts it puts Joe in a bad position? And I understand he's probably going to pardon his son. I understand he loves his son very much. We we know when he's got an addiction and blah, blah, blah. But that puts him, that may cost him the presidency, pardoning his son. Because I think there are people who are going to stay home because they see through it and they see it for what it is. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I don't think Joe Biden would, would issue a pardon um, at a stage in his presidency where he could be accountable for it. It'll be issued on the way out the door, similar to uh, Bill Clinton's pardon of Mark Rich. The, uh, the the DNC financier who was yes. literally a fugitive from justice, uh, he did it on the way out the door uh, in in 2000, early 2001, and just didn't care. So I think that's how Biden would do it. If he loses this election, he'll pardon Biden on January 20th, a minute before Trump gets re-sworn in as president. Yeah, and, and Trump's not going to jail because he has to take his Secret Service protection with him. I mean, look, how does that work? Well, there's that, and there's also the fact that, in my opinion, all these charges and trials are completely bogus and ridiculous and uh, not legal and not constitutional. So I think they'll eventually all work their way up uh, to appellate courts and get thrown out. But, yeah, the the Secret Service uh, issue there is an important one. It would be hilarious, though, because this guy's going, oh, sorry, honey, I'm not home this weekend. i got to go do my time. You know, they're going to go sit with Trump in jail. On the upside, he would buy a lot of stuff from the commissary for them. Oh, he'd be a hilarious. The the Trump Live from Colson Prison comedy album would be amazing. <laughs> it would. Um, one last question on Hunter Biden. Uh, does this save him from having to testify in front of Congress? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't think he was going to anyway because he was – um, in legal jeopardy, given all the shenanigans and ongoing investigations, but now that he's been indicted, um, he will he'll plead the Fifth Amendment across the board on everything. So zero chance he says a word of substance before Congress now or ever. So was this done purposely? Then I said last question. I lied. Was this done purposely? Then, in your opinion, to keep him from testifying in front of Congress? Because no charges were brought up for Farah. There's no big charges. All the charges that were brought were charges that don't involve Joe. Right. So I can't speak to the timing, whether it was done intentionally to prevent him from testifying. All of this is clearly being done to protect Joe Biden and has from the beginning. R- recall, if, if Weiss, this prosecutor, had gotten his way the first time, uh, Hunter would already be scot-free on a completely absurd plea agreement that thankfully uh, a, a judge threw out uh, earlier this year. So this is being done intentionally to protect Joe. Whether it was done intentionally to prevent Hunter's testimony, I really don't know. Yeah, I was I was just I was just curious because as I said, you have your ear to the ground there in DC and you know everything. And by the way, I have to tell you before I let you go, you were one of the first people I followed on Twitter. So oh, well, what an honor. Thank you. It, it I have to tell you it is an honor. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, uh, Sean Davis, thank you so much. Really appreciate you, you joining me and letting me just, you know, hit you up with these questions. And and uh, didn't I didn't give them to you ahead of time, so you really didn't have a heads up. But I really appreciate you, you playing ball here. Thank you. Well, you're so generous and gracious. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I want to hear from you coming up, but next we're going to hear from Brett Tolman, who is a former federal former federal prosecutor, easy for me to say, former counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee and former U.S. Attorney for Utah. We're going to delve into the Hunter Biden charges more with him. We're going to talk about the Trump trial in New York and what's going on there. And he did actually, Donald Trump actually got a win in a New York court yesterday, but you didn't hear about it. It really hasn't been out very much. It didn't get a lot of play in the media because Trump a lot of times steps on his own publicity because he gets in front of the microphone and then everybody talks about that instead of talking about maybe some of his wins and other things going on. Um, we're also going to talk, this, this is interesting. You know, everyone's talking about how, oh, Trump, Trump said he's going to be a dictator. Trump's a dictator. And they're all losing their minds over that purposely uh, convoluting and stretching and twisting what Trump said in the interview with Sean Hannity. And, and Trump by this time should have known with it that they were going to do that. He was, setting, he was saying it as a joke. So he should know that they, they have no sense of humor. They don't understand what a joke is and you can't do that. But um, we're going to talk about that. But, but Joe Biden is looking to seize certain drug patents from companies. How, how do you change the rules of that game midway through? And the most important thing I want to talk to Brett about is this um, SCOTUS case that is uh, working its way through the Supreme Court right now. And it's something that if the administration has their way, they're going to take more money out of your pocket that you may not even have, have made. They're, they're going to take um, gains that you maybe haven't even cashed in or received yet. It's still sitting in an account or an investment somewhere. That's what they want to do. So I'm going to tell you about that coming up as well. So there's a lot to cover with Brett Tolman, and he's coming up next. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans at this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brothers, foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and it's just a bunch of lies. Did you interact with many of their business associates? I did not. There's lies. Lies, you dirty, filthy liars according to the president. Uh, Brett Tolman, former federal prosecutor, former counsel to Senate Judiciary Committee, and former U.S. attorney for Utah. You can find him on X at Tolman, Brett, B-R-E-T-T. Thank you for joining me on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Hello, Mary. Thanks for having me. So you heard it. Filthy liars. You're all a bunch of filthy liars. Joe Biden's still maintaining that line of, of response. He's still maintaining the lie. Is this going to paint him into a box when it comes to Hunter's latest um, criminal problems, legal problems, shall we say? Yeah, you know, Mary, it's it's, it's quite shocking to listen to a man accuse others of lying while he's lying. It's, um, I guess, the height of gaslighting because he's in that box. That box is, is squared around him, and there is no question 
um, that he was part of those, um, you know, part of those discussions and interactions with the individuals, the supposed clients of Hunter Biden that were paying, uh, you know, extravagant amounts of money for, for no real services. Now, you being a, a prosecutor, how much trouble is Hunter really in? It sounds like a big deal. If it was me, I'd be going to jail for the rest of my life, and rightfully so. But it's Hunter. How much trouble is he really in? Yeah, I almost I almost had to laugh at the New York Post saying that he's facing 17 years. Let me let me boil down what they did. I mean, they they brought forward serious allegations, and it reads you know much more thorough, and the analysis is more more consistent with you know a, a stand up investigation. But in reality, you have you have 7201 charges, which is tax evasion. That's a felony. You have you have one of those. You have 7206. Which is a, it, which is a nuanced variation of the 7201. Those are all felonies, but the maximum penalty is five years on the one and three years on the other two. But they don't stack, Mary. Oh, they run. They, they, they don't stack like like everyone's reporting. Um, the reality is he's going to be um, a judge if he's convicted. The judge would look at his prior criminal history, and he gets a bunch of credit for if he doesn't have a substantial criminal history. And we all know he's avoided, you know, accountability. So he'll probably be looking at. Um, a very minimal sentence. I would predict it's, uh, you know, it's one to two years maximum for all of that if he's convicted. And then you um, that doesn't take into consideration the fact that the DOJ can control that sentence. If they don't want him to serve time, they'll be able to get through this case without him serving time. Of course. And should there not be a special counsel, though? Uh, it, by now, there should have been a special counsel. D- David Weiss is not a special counsel because he's attached to the DOJ. Yeah, it's it's absurd. They've they've done this hybrid, which is not really authorized in statute or or by any any uh, DOJ rule. They've appointed a couple of people to work with Weiss and and called them special counsels, and they're not. A special counsel is an outsider, not in the Department of Justice, that comes in and reviews what you know what is going on and investigates this. If this case were being investigated thoughtfully and impartially. You, the tax cases would be the least of Hunter Biden's problems. No Farah charges. I saw that. No Farah yeah. charges. I mean, there's a five-year statute of limitations on, on that failure to register. And so they at least could have done 2019 forward and, and every year, you know, found a violation. And that would have added to it. And they, but they, they, didn't, they didn't circle the wagon. They didn't actually go in and look at the sourcing of this, in, this income and then assess where did all the money go and then pull that all into a conspiracy, which would have included the big guy. And, you know, Hunter's uncle and everyone else that was taking part in taking money for for no services and no real business and then money laundering it. I mean, that's that's the big case that uh, they will never bring. Yeah, uh, this is this is all being done to protect the big guy. This that's why none of these these charges touch him at all. There's no way this can blow back onto Joe. Or am I wrong? Because yeah, he's not. Fact, gonna, I mean, yeah. this gives him an out. He's not going to testify in front of Congress now. Right. 
Yeah, that, that's the twofold benefit of this is Hunter now can legitimately say he cannot testify or, or he'll he'll uh, you know assert the Fifth, fifth Amendment privilege. And then um, Joe Biden. I mean, this is a deflection of a of a monumental you know way to to try to pull a lot of the attention that was starting to push towards the president. And and so I see that as as you know a twofold benefit for the Biden family. So I'm I'm looking here, and apparently he uh, is alleged to have paid eight hundred and sixty-three thousand dollars for various women. Three hundred. I don't know where that is in my Quicken. I I don't know where that is in one of the options on my Quicken spreadsheet. Uh, Almost three hundred ninety-eight thousand for clothing and accessories. One hundred eighty-nine thousand for adult entertainment, and these are things that were expenses that he wrote off as business expenses, and. I I'm I have a hard time with this because at the same time, you know, the left is saying, well, you know, this was and he was at the height of his addiction and he didn't know better. He blew through over a million dollars in ATM cash withdrawals. I can't get more than 300 out of my ATM. So I would I would be there every day. Uh, so, so am I supposed to believe that Hunter Biden is this poor drug addled man who has all these problems and is incapable of understanding what he's done? Or was he at the same time a business genius that was being paid by companies and governments all over the world for his business acumen? They can't both be true. Yeah, great, great highlight of a of a, a massive inconsistency. And you know, Hunter Hunter Biden, um, he by his own conduct and by his 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 text messages, his emails, his his uh papers and and um you know his even his um his book that he was writing he reveals all yes. of the chaos and all of the inability to be a stand-up businessman serving on a board of a major company or or in negotiating or engaging with all these other you know countries and receiving millions of dollars the only way you could do that is if you're selling something that obviously isn't being produced or or a service that isn't isn't being rendered by any of these dummy companies and what is it then that he was selling he was selling access to his father yeah absolutely i want to play a cut here of from ron DeSantis talking about impeachment and warning the republicans maybe not to do it opening an inquiry based on the the facts that we have i think would be justifiable however i think they run the risk of doing an inquiry that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere while they've been ignoring a lot of the problems that our voters are talking about. When I'm going through Iowa, Republican voters obviously are not fond of Joe Biden. Yes, they're concerned about Hunter and all this money, but they're more concerned about what's happening at our border. They're more concerned about what's happening with the economy. They're more concerned about federal agencies that are overstepping their bounds. And so if you're doing the inquiry, which, again, I think is justifiable, you also have to be addressing all these other issues. So if you were advising Congress and you're advising the House, would you tell them to to do exactly what Ron DeSantis said? Focus on the things that the people want you to focus on. You can still do investigations at the same time because hopefully they can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, But is that something that you would advise them that it's too risky? No, I I would not. I would advise them to go forward with impeachment. Remember, all of those things that Ron DeSantis just outlined that Congress should be focused on, those are all within the executive branch power. That's not something Congress they they can't pass a law that's going to cause that's going to make Joe Biden go down and enforce the border. 
So you have to get rid of the head of the executive branch that is 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 exclusively the problem on on all of those areas. And I don't I don't know how you do that. You've got to win the next election. Impeachment probably helps you in that regard. If you can't get there, I understand that, but the pressure needs to be applied on exposing who Joe Biden is because that is the front runner for the 2024 election. Is this how the Democrats get rid of Joe? I think so, right, Mary? I think this is the perfect the perfect transition to say, hey, he's got to put his house in order. He's got to focus on his son. He's got to focus on all these other things. So now let's insert whoever it is, Gavin Newsom or whoever we think is going to be, you know, a better candidate. Yeah, well, they still have a Kamala Harris problem. So there's that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, there's a speed bump in the road. Um, all right, I want to switch gears. We don't have a lot of time. I just want to get to Trump in court yesterday. Uh, there was a New York University accounting professor, Eli Bartov, who reviewed the Trump financial statements that are at issue in the case and said he found no evidence of accounting fraud. Now, this is like the third or fourth witness who ha- from both sides. Some of them were Deutsche Bank ones were from were from the other side, from the prosecution, who said there's nothing wrong here. How come this is keeping he's going to get convicted? I mean, they're going to take everything away from him, right, despite there being nothing wrong. Yeah, it's ironic because this is an expert that the, the, the very court relied on in, in other significant cases. So he has incredible credibility in, in this regard. And let's face it, this is this is already there's already been an assessment of, of fraud. And, and so it's all working backwards to try to justify the court has to try to justify that finding. So it will do so. It'll establish an amount that is owed and then they'll appeal it. And, and that's that's the path forward. But, you know, it's, it's similar. All of these are sort of stacked in favor of the government that's bringing it, because that is the system that we have, whether it's criminal or whether it's civil fraud, it's stacked in the, fa- in the, in the favor of the government. One quick question before I get to a Supreme Court case that I want to ask you about before we run out of time here. Uh, I asked Sean Davis this question. I want to ask you, who goes to jail first, Hunter, Trump, or neither one of them? Trump. Really? Uh, you know, I predicted long ago that Trump in the Washington, D.C. federal criminal case, um, you have a, a, a judge that doesn't like him, a judge that is making rulings consistent with, you know, pushing this case through quickly. That will be a D.C. jury that convicts. The judge will take him forthwith, which is a presumption that the judge can honor and uh, and then incarcerates him. And he's appealing and running for president from inside of a federal prison. So he has to take his Secret Service with him to prison. How does that work? Yeah, it's never been done, right? We we don't we don't know. He would he would uh, he couldn't be in general population without Secret Service protection. Um, I doubt that. So, Come on, they've got to they've yeah. got to give him Secret Service protection, especially if he's a candidate. Yeah, absolutely, he does. Well, he gets it as a as a former president. It's by statute he, until he can, he he passes away. So. Can they put him under house arrest, thereby um, not allowing him to campaign? Well, which is yeah, what they, they want. They, That's what they want. Yeah, that's what they want. I mean, this judge, this judge will 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 very quickly, you know, indicate that he shouldn't be treated any better than anyone else and will sentence him to serve his prison sentence in in a federal prison and then they'll have to work out the secret service and how they, you know, work with the bureau of prisons on how they do it. Um, and he'll appeal and, you know, and and uh, hopefully, you know, the appeal would be successful. 
um, given some of the rulings that that have been handed down. But you know, that's that's always a, a long shot as well. So we'll they're see so what dumb. It's, it's they're so dumb. It's going to make him a hero. Uh, very quickly, yeah. I want to get right. I mean, it just is. I, I want to get to. We have ninety seconds here. I want to get to this case. It's a SCOTUS case in, in court right now regarding the mandatory repa- repatriation tax, and what it basically is is the government says, well, you have a house, and if your house went up in value in the last year, even though you haven't sold the house, we're going to send you a tax bill because you gain value on that asset. The asset's worth more, even though you haven't sold it. How do yeah, I get it's, money it's back outrageous. if it goes? Do I get money back if it goes down in value? Well, and that's the thing. Over a longer period of time, consistently, they don't go down. And so it's really a, a, a taxation that we won't, we won't really get a benefit of, of the write-off on a, on a home. And, and the same with stocks, right, that we don't realize. I mean, it's not income if you don't receive it. Now, once you sell it, it's fine. I, I agree. You can, you can be taxed on that. But this is, this is a new dawn of a very troubling, um, you know, tax tax strategy by by those that that want to really punish the the middle and lower class but stocks go up and down right so if i and i listen i've bought some that were great and now they're dogs right so you sell them to offset gains and when you do your taxes you sell the dogs to offset gains so are they going to give me money back now if i paid them a lot of money when it was a great stock and now that it's a dog are they going to give me money back yeah, and, and that's the detail that uh, nobody wants to talk about. Yeah. We don't we don't know what their plan is on that. They just want the taxes because you know they look. You can't hand out trillions of dollars and and billions to Ukraine and be underwater like we are as a country and and you know and not try to try to justify it and, and claim you're going after the wealthy because they're the ones who hold stock and they're the ones who buy home, lavish homes, but. That's not really what's going to happen. It's the yeah. it's the middle, you know, the middle class that are going to be punished uh, in this regard. Brett Tolman, great conversation. Thank you so much. It was really nice Thank speaking you, with you. You can find him on exit Tolman Brett Berry TT two T's on that. Thank you so much. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I will get to your calls next on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Liberals are so stupid the way that they handle Trump. What do you mean? You should shut up. He's a narcissist. Neutral energy. Yeah. You think, he, you think he'd go away? If you know what I think he was? I think he was a one-hit wonder. Uh-huh. Right? He wrote the twist. Uh-huh. And then that was it. He was on the casino circuit, and then you yeah. idiot liberals wrote him twist again yeah. when you indicted him. And yeah. now he's a martyr. And now he's, he's coming back, Jimmy. Pepper- <laughs> that was Bill Burr with Jimmy Kimmel. And he was telling him, telling Jimmy Kimmel, you guys brought him back. And it's right, you made him a martyr when you uh, indicted him. I think that if, I, first of all, I don't think Trump's going to jail. I Maybe maybe I'm wrong. I think that uh, Chuckin wants that. They want that visual. But I think they're very dumb. They're very naive because I think that visual will be what the visual was with Trump going to uh, to go have his mugshot taken, right, and his, and his fingerprint to turn himself in in Georgia. 
people were in the streets cheering for him. So they're making him more relatable. And I, I just think it's going to be a huge backfire, but you can disagree with me. Uh, 866-408-7669 is my number. Uh, very quickly, Christian in Philly, I've got less than a minute. Go. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? My name's Chris. I just want to talk about Joe Biden. Before got- he was elected, he promised everybody he would do something that no other administration would do, that he would cure cancer. And many people voted for him because of this promise. About a year and a half into the presidency, we heard nothing about it. Then he went and he hired the team that he had under Obama that failed, that was fired. He went and hired them again, and we still heard nothing. It's almost been three years now. I got to tell you, Christian, uh, anyone who voted for Joe Biden because he said he was going to cure cancer, those people probably shouldn't be voting. I'm a big fan of quality of voters, not quantity of voters. Like, we need more people voting. I'm like, no. I think we need more in- people to be more informed when they vote. That's just me. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I am Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. How are you? You can follow me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio. Also, I do have a podcast I have to tell you about on Tuesday, 7.15 Eastern Time in the evening, 7.15 p.m. It is available live on YouTube and on Getter. You just look for Mary Walter Radio. It'll pop right up. We have all different guests. Uh, sometimes we have no guests. Sometimes we talk politics. We just had um, a producer for a radio show on this past Tuesday to get the what what really goes into getting a show on the air because it's amazing what people think that it just like all falls out of the sky and uh, you know th- what happens behind the scenes at radio stations that kind of thing so that was a lot of fun. So sometimes we talk politics, sometimes we don't. And the audio is always available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Again, just look for Mary Walter Radio. That would be great if you do that. All right, let's talk a little bit about numbers, shall we? A brand new CNN poll found that 67% of Americans disapprove of Joe Biden's economy. They say it is the economy, stupid, heading into the 2024 election. Democrats are now concerned that a Bidenomics may be failing. I have news for them. When they came up with the name Bidenomics and they first threw that out there, remember Joe Biden goes, yeah, they, they're telling me that, that people are calling it Bidenomics because things are so good. <laughs> like, oh, my God. It was, it was, just, it was just so, so um, transparent, you know, Bidenomics. Uh, actually, I think we have KJP here talking about uh, Bidenomics, I believe. Hold on, where it is. Yes, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, when uh, it comes to that term Bidenomics, it came in. All of a sudden, yeah, because everybody's talking about it, and now, just as quietly, it has gone away. What happened to it, KJP? The president, though, hasn't said the term Bidenomics since um, November 1st. Is he moving away from that term? Let me just say, last week we learned economic growth was higher than 5%. I know this is something that you cover very closely, and 5% last quarter, uh, higher than any quarter under Trump outside of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And inflation fell 3% with prices staying flat in October. So when he talks about the economy, that is binomics. When he talks about what we're doing and how we're delivering for the American people, that is binomics. Am I the only person who would love to hear someone just play the theme to the Benny Hill show in the background every time she talks? Because it, it's it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. All right. 
We're going to suss this out. Who can cut through this? Jerry Willis, anchor, personal finance reporter for Fox for FBN and host of Fox Nation special called Real Tough Women. I love ha, it. Ha, ha, and the host of the Fearless and Proud podcast. It's available on foxnewspodcast.com. And you follow her on Twitter at Jerry Willis, FBN. And it's Jerry with a G, G-E-R-R-I, Willis. And I adore your your picture your profile picture on there it's like the old rosie the riveter but it's you it's awesome i love it (laughs) ah mary what a great introduction and thank you for being so kind yeah it's great to be here and i have to tell you the topics you're talking about here today are terrific and stuff we really need to pay attention to thanks for having me Absolutely. So we were just talking about CNN, a brand new CNN poll. 67% of Americans disapprove of Bidenomics. They're going to keep telling us it's working. But, you know, I hope somewhere along the line to be able to do some baking for Christmas. It's one of the (laughs) things I love and I never have time to do it. Butter is almost $4 a pound. What it was, it was like a buck 54, I want to say about a month ago. And now all of a sudden it, every time I go back, it's, it's more, it goes up like a dollar a pound every time I go back. What's happening? Here's the dirty little secret. Nobody tells you about inflation and the reason that you need to pay attention to it. Obviously you do because you go to the grocery store, but it's cumulative, right? Remember when we were all talking about that massive increase uh, in inflation of 9% two years ago. Well, the increases are on top of that every month, right? I mean, that just builds and builds and builds in the economy and people are just over it. That's why they don't like Bidenomics. You know, we got uh, jobs numbers today and they were really pretty good, especially when you compare it to Wall Street expectations. But people are like, I don't care if the job market is good if the job's not paying me what I need to subsist. And that's that's the problem. But here's the thing. The, the people that I know who are just will never, ever, ever admit that Joe Biden is a disaster. They, they're so invested in being never Trumpers. So they can't admit that, the, that everything was better under Trump. They can't admit that their personal uh, finances are falling apart under Biden. They'll say, well, that's because of the greedy companies. Right. Yeah, I hear that all the time. It's the greedy companies. It's the greedy farmers. They're all living in mansions. Yeah, yeah. You know that's true, right? Not not happening. Look, there is inflation in this economy. And why? Because Capitol Hill flooded the economy with tax dollars, right? We, we were spending for everything imaginable. We're forgiving every dollar of college debt we possibly can. We sent money checks throughout COVID. Everybody gets a free chicken in their pot. And we're paying the price now. Inflation's through the roof. It's hurting Americans. They tell you in every poll they take that inflation, the economy is number one or two and what they think are the most important issues for the next election. I mean, you can barely blame them, right? I mean, this is a tough time. And why? Because everything is costing more and the increases in your paycheck are not keeping up with that. No, no, it's not. Uh, So go kind of dovetailing on what you just said uh, about, you know, everybody gets a free. I haven't gotten anything free. I I don't know how I missed the memo. (laughs) Did I not get, I I didn't get the login. I don't know what happened, but nobody sent me anything. Uh, But Joe Biden wants to give 500,000 Americans money now to buy homes. I don't know. This sounds shockingly familiar to me and it didn't end well. So here's what happens when you give people money. For things, whether it's a college education, whether it's a home, you only end up increasing the cost of that thing. Because what do you think happens in the marketplace? If the government's sponsoring 
uh, you know, gas-free cars, if they're sponsoring electric cars, the cost of the electric cars goes up because the government's paying money, right? I can raise that price. So you only guarantee escalating prices when you start bankrolling this stuff. And let me tell you the other nefarious side of this that's going on That's to me is really scary. Inflation is killing your retirement dollars. It's just the last couple of years, ever since Biden went into office, the value of your 401k has gone down nearly 25 percent, 25 percent. And that is just due to the level of inflation going higher. If you're a retiree, you know that every dollar you have today is worth far less, a a quarter less than it was three years ago, right? So your money doesn't go as far. You're stretching. You're trying to make payments. You're trying to buy food at the grocery store. The other thing that has happened under Biden is declining stock values, right? So if you're a person investing for retirement and you're putting the money in and you're letting it cook and bake and percolate and grow, 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 well, guess what? Stocks have declined in value and so has your total investment. So it's not been been a good time for people in retirement, people approaching retirement. And get this, people who simply want to take care of their own needs. If you want to be the author of your own wealth, if you want to be able to do what you want in retirement, Joe Biden's made it harder. So, okay, but I I read probably about two weeks ago, maybe a week ago, that the <laughs> feds are talking about lowering interest rates four times in 2024. And I thought, of course, because it's an election year. So that's what they're going to do. And then after the election, they're going to skyrocket again. How can they be lowering interest rates if inflation is still such a problem? So, yeah, they are not hitting their numbers that they want on inflation and they have so many rate hikes baked into this economy. If if it ever really does fully hit, we will be in a deep, dark recession. And you'll be calling me and saying, Jerry, why don't they take some rate cuts? We need money to be cheaper. So, uh, you know, a lot of people on Wall Street say now is the time to start cutting these rates so that people can buy houses, so that the interest rate on their credit card goes okay. down, so they can take a loan. Uh, to build an addition to their home. Uh, These high rates are killing Americans, and they need to come down. But my guess is that the Fed may not take all those rate cuts because the Fed chief is determined to wring this inflation out of this economy, and he may be reluctant to do all that. I think that's another pernicious result of, of the federal government's actions to flood the economy with money, You know, we have this incredible inflation. So what happens? Well, the Fed has to come in and raise rates and make everything just unimaginably expensive to buy. Uh, So it's just been knock on effects. That's what economists call it. You might want to call it dominoes falling. Okay, in about 90 seconds, because then then we're going to talk about on the other side of a break, quick break. We're going to talk about everything you've talked about. And it's in the Supreme Court right now. Um, Interest rates and money and value and all that stuff. How has this administration managed to not crash the economy? I got to tell you, I thought within a year it was going to be Jimmy Carter all over again. How have they managed to not screw this up as badly as we all thought they would? So I would say this economy is hanging on by the skin of its teeth. You know, you you saw these... um 
these unemployment numbers that came out earlier this morning, you know, on the face of it, they seemed very good, especially when you compare it to Wall Street expectations. But that's not how you live your real life, right? What do we as real human beings make of today's employment report? Well, I got to tell you, the jobs market is cooling. You may not be happy with the jobs market because jobs aren't paying you what you want as a worker, but the jobs market is cooling. That's mean, that means it's going to be harder for you to get a better job, hard for you to argue for higher pay. The gains in today's uh, jobs report, which, as I said, on the face of it, look good. It's basically the end of the auto strike. Those auto workers going back to work. That's what that story is. Yeah. All right. Coming up. More with Jerry Willis on the scariest SCOTUS case this term, and that's according to The Spectator, because it affects every single one of us. We'll tell you what they're doing and whether this is really going to go anywhere. I guess somebody has to pay the bills. We'll find out. I'm Mary Walter, in for Brian Kilmeade. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I'm Mary Walters, sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. You can follow me on Twitter at Mary Walters Radio. And we are here with Jerry Willis from the Fox Business Network. And she's the host of a Fox Nation special, Real Tough Women. Sounds super interesting. And, fo- and the host of the Fearless and Proud podcast available on foxnewspodcast.com. You can follow her at Jerry Willis, F-B-N, that's G-E-R-R-I. Jerry, thank you for joining me. Uh Great so to be oh, with I just want to I just wanted to go. We got a comment on Twitter. Uh, Heather Joe said she answered the question. How is the economy still doing good? Start two wars and write contracts to service 10 million illegals <laughs> and their children. <laughs> so it's more government spending. Exactly what we were saying. Right. She's got it. She understands how it works. Uh, let me tell you, we're at a frightening place with this economy and with this government. And I think you really have to study these policies to understand how how they work. But apparently your viewers do just that. Yeah. Now, um, I want to I want to talk about this case. It's in front of the Supreme Court this week. It's a couple named Charles and Kathleen Moore. And there is apparently a provision in the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which they are saying is unconstitutional. And at issue is the mandatory repatriation tax. So they got a tax bill for almost $15,000 on their share of uh, profits in a company where they never took profits. The profits are all reinvested, reinvested. So, so they didn't take any profits, but the government's saying, oh no, well, you know, that's still a gain, even though it's an unrealized gain, we're taxing you on that. I don't understand how you can do this and, and and the government can even keep everything straight because if you lose money the next year on the tax, are they going to send me a check on, on stocks? Are they going to send me a check? So I've been covering this for some time now, and I got to tell you, as a taxpayer and an investor, this is one of the scariest things I've ever seen. I mean, intuitively, you know that liberals and Democrats want to get every tax dollar they can out of taxpayers, out of the economy. And that's exactly what this is. So let's pull back a second and define some of the terms we're talking about, right? So what matters here is when does a dollar become income? When is a dollar income that the federal government can tax? Well, typically, it's when it's a dollar in your pocket. It's not when it's sitting in your 401k or your IRA or just really your brokerage account and growing over time, boom, 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 every year a little better. No. It's when you cash that out 
and you put the money in your pocket, that's when the federal government can come in and tax that. What? Income. But Biden and co. says, no, 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 no. We're going to start taxing you on unrealized gains, gains in your home, gains in your portfolio that you haven't realized, that you haven't taken, that aren't sitting on, you know, in your wallet uh, or, or on, the, on the desk at home. So that changes the game plan for so many people. And typically it's been almost impossible to put into place because the record keeping is insane. I mean, yeah. think about it. It's crazy. And, okay, who says what my house is worth this year? Who? Who? What? How do we do that? It's it's in crazy record keeping, and it's unfair. We have never done this before. Now, let me tell you what I think is in the background of all this. It really opens the door to a future wealth tax. Who do we want to get to? We want to get to yep. those wealthy people. And who are those wealthy people? Those wealthy people are people who are trying to take care of their own future needs. They're saving for their retirement. They're saving for their child's education. They're trying to buy a house. You know, they're taking care of themselves. Isn't that what we want? We want people to be self-sustaining. We don't want to have to bankroll everybody through the federal government. Well, you know, it, it, and I know we don't have a lot of time here, but when we were talking about, you know, uh, Joe Biden wanting to give 500,000 Americans money to, to buy a house and he wants to help people with rental assistance and all this other stuff, it, it, it changes the game. If you would just let people keep their money, we didn't have, say, like a death tax, your parents may not be able to give you much, but if they can give you, you know, $10,000. That's a game changer, right? That can help you in your quest to buy a home, et cetera, instead of the government coming to take it. Why should the money go into the government, filter through the government, and then you have half as much left, and then they give it to you? It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. There are no rewards for doing things the right way. They want to take away you know, your sense of self, your desire to take care of yourself and the way you want to do it. I mean, removing that, I, th- I think, is tragic. Because that means you – how do you act when you feel like, you know, it doesn't matter what you do? Right. Badly. Badly. And I think you've seen a lot of people do that lately because government's taking away incentive, uh, self-incentive to take care of oneself, to take care of one's family. Look, the answer is not always the federal government to every problem. In fact, it rarely is, Right. You know, that's why we have charities. Uh, that's why we encourage people to save and invest on their own. It is so rewarding um, to be able to set that money aside over time, yeah. watch it grow, and to own that. Ownership is not a negative. It's a positive. Well, it all depends on what your end goal is. And as far as who's going to appraise all of these properties, you know, we could have Letitia James and Judge Engron <laughs> just set up like a little side business, right? <laughs> They're very good at it. <laughs> well, yeah, there are a lot of people who would love to do that. Like, think of the government contract for that, right? right? I mean, and, come on. And I would love it because they undervalue everything. So I'd be like, okay, <laughs> come on. You know, you know what scares me? This is where AI comes in, right? Whoa, oh, yeah. Here comes the AI to tell you uh, yeah. how much you owe in taxes. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Willis, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Have a thank wonderful you. holiday. You and too. thank you for being with me on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
the fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're getting to the holiday seasons. We've actually have seen a decrease in eggs, in baking, in milk uh, since last year. So we are seeing lowering costs as we're going into the holiday season, as we're as people are going uh, to do some holiday shopping. We're seeing uh, lowering costs in, in TVs and things that people need to think about as, as they want to give a gift uh, to their loved ones. And so we're seeing some costs go down, airline tickets, gas prices. So the work that we have done, the work that this president has done, the investing, whether it's investing in America, whether it's bionomics, we're seeing that we're in a different place than today than we were a year ago. We are just in a different place with costs going down. You dirty, dirty liar. Oh, my goodness. She's just reading out of the binder. I get it. Karine Jean-Pierre there uh, telling you that the costs are going down. I and we just had Jerry Willis on, and I was saying I I love to bake, and I never get to bake at at Christmas. I just don't. I never have enough time. I'm sliding into Christmas. The tree's still not up. Our tree has not been up before New Year's, probably in ten years, just because we're we're working like crazy people. Especially me, this time of year, this is a really busy time for me. So. I sent my husband out to get some butter so I could bake, and he came home. It's almost $4 a pound. A couple of weeks ago, a month ago, it was it was down to about a buck forty five. Then he came so like it's two forty five when he went yesterday. I said, Well wait, he goes, It went up a dollar. So I said, All right, well hold on, you know, let's see what happens. He went he went yesterday and it was up another dollar. Three forty five a pound. And he we went to more than one store. So imagine what we spent in gas just trying to find um, butter that wasn't so ridiculously expensive. So uh are you seeing prices going down? Do you agree with her? Because 67% of Americans disapprove of Joe Biden's economy, according to CNN. And is the economy the number one issue for you when it comes to voting? Because I think for a lot of people, it's not. Because there's a lot of people who will never vote for Donald Trump because, ah, because they're crazy. Donald Trump broke their brains. So they know that they had more money. They know that things were better. They, 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 in their deep recesses of their brains that haven't been ignited in, in quite some time, there's this knowledge that things were better and that they're worse now. But because it was better under Trump, they can't allow them to process it and accept it and say, oh, I would like to go back to that. That was good. So you have people who will never say, or they'll say the economy is their number one issue, but they don't want to vote for Trump. 866-408-7669. Now we were just having some fun here because according to the Freedom Economy Index, they surveyed small business owners and they found that 42% of business owners who traditionally give Christmas bonuses to their employees said they can't afford them this year. So a lot of people aren't going to be getting Christmas bonuses. 28% of business owners surveyed said that they plan to provide Christmas bonuses that will be smaller than in past years. 25% Christmas said Christmas bonuses will be about the same. And 5% said bonuses will be bigger this year relative to prior years. About 52% of retail business owners who responded to the survey said their Black Friday and Christmas sales were much lower than average. About 20% each said sales were about average or slightly less than average. And we're laughing because I've never gotten a Christmas bonus, ever, ever. 
I mean, who gets Christmas bonuses? It just reminds me of Chevy Chase and Christmas Vacation. He gets the Jelly of the Month Club. I didn't even get Jelly of the Month Club. I had nothing. I got, hey, can you work Christmas Eve? That's what I got. We got a lot of people who, who want the time off. How about you work Christmas Day? You don't mind, do you? You don't have a life. How about you work? You need the money. I didn't get Christmas bonuses. I'm curious, do you get Christmas bonuses? We want to know. We're, we're dying to hear about this. What is this thing called a Christmas bonus? 866-408-7669. Let's head to Orlando, sunny Florida, the free state of Florida. Drew, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Hello, Drew. You there? He's not there. All right, Drew. Well, fine. Maybe uh, his Jelly of the Month Club arrived and he's unwrapping it. Uh, yeah. So they also found... They asked how inflation impacts their bottom lines. 81% of the respondents said their suppliers' prices have increased in the last 30 days, an increase from 76% in October, who said that. Now 81% are saying that. They also found that about 91% of business owners' respondents expect that inflation will continue to be higher than normal over the next six months, which was only 87% in October saying that. But... Optimism about their business rose slightly in November. It was 28% in October who were optimistic. It's 31% in November. Maybe it's the Christmas season getting to them. So is the economy the number one thing for you when it comes to voting? Because it is for me. You know, I had a job paying the most in salary, most money I ever made in my life. I got the job under President Trump. It was great. Trump's out of office. Biden comes in. Budget cuts. Guess who doesn't have a job? Boom. That was it. So yeah, the economy is super important to me because my economy was turned upside down. 866-408-7669. Um, also, there, there are more penalties that are coming as well. Federal tax filers. Now, if you're like one of those people who likes to underpay, if you pay like a gig type, type thing, you have... Um, you pay quarterly. A lot of people will underpay, will underpay. You know, you just calculate it wrong. You underpay. The penalty for that underpayment has gone from 3% to 8% in less than, uh, four, less than two years. So you have to be super, super careful. And, and about your retirement. You know, we talked about that. Your 401k is declining an average of $33,000 or real terms, almost 25% since Biden took office. That affects everything. You know, my husband and I are looking at it. We're like, oh, I don't know if we're going to, you know, that's being put off a little bit because of, of what's happening to your 401k. 25% in real terms declined. That's a lot. So it all adds up. So what is your number one issue? Is it, um, I will say mine are hand in hand because the border is a big thing for me as well. But um, what I think the border plays into the, the economy, right? Because we're spending for all these people. So I, th- I think that they both, they, they play into each other. And um, you, you find... That if we have fewer people that I'm uh, that I'm supporting, then I don't have to worry about it as much, right? I don't have to worry about it as much. 
uh, 866-408-7669, or you can uh, send me a note on Twitter. You can tweet me at Mary Walter Radio. Uh, let's quickly get to uh, Barbara in Virginia. Barbara, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Hi. I, I'm having, I hear you, but can you hear me okay? I sure can. Okay. Okay. Um, I just wanted to let you know that in the, um, our gasoline prices are two ninety six a gallon, which is ten cents less than it was yesterday, and twenty cents less than it was. Oh, let's see. Today's Friday, the beginning right. of the week. So it's going down. And you, excuse me. It's going down. Yes, it's going down a lot. Plus, I'm a savvy shopper. So I shop at a grocery store that offers what they call fuel points, and I also use their credit card. So I typically get another dollar twenty-five off a gallon. But I'm just a smart shopper. Well, they're not, and that's um, also not legal in some states. I know in my state you can't do that. You can't you can't have like bonuses for gas because I guess everybody buys gas, and some people don't have that store where they are. Like Costco could not restrict it to just members, their gas pumps to just members. And then finally, when gas went really really high, they just did it anyway and told the state to come after them, and nothing happened. So this is just a grocery store, and they don't allow fuel points on like cigarettes and alcohol right. and. Yeah. Certain other items, um, but did but you get also, a big? Did... I was um, explaining. I told the gentleman who answered the phone when you talked about bonuses. I actually retired from the workforce in 2014. I was working for an attorney, got a little bored, and went back to work for him one day a week, which is what I'm doing now. And I got, and I was a little shocked at this. He always gives me a Christmas bonus. But I got a huge Christmas bonus this year. So May I, I ask work for a what's... sole practitioner. Okay, and this is a physician? Yes, I'm a um Wow. A, a paralegal. For a wait, a paralegal. I come in one day a week and I work seven hours a day. I mean You're not... seven hours every week. You're not a paralegal for a physician, you're a paralegal for a lawyer. Yes. Okay. And... Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Lawyers lawyers always make money. I'll tell you, my husband graduated medical. And thank you so much, Barbara. Enjoy it. Have fun. Um, my husband, his roommate went to law school. My husband went to medical school. So his roommate was out and practicing in, what, three years. And my husband wasn't out and practicing for many, many more after that. And his lawyer friend, his fees and his income just keeps going up. And my husband's just keeps going down because of socialized medicine and, and lawsuits and all that kind of crazy stuff. Um, they get paid less and less and you don't get paid for some patients and that's legal. You just, you have to see them and you don't get paid for them. Lawyers don't have that. So I, when she said a sole practitioner, I'm like, wait, what? A doctor? Wait, what? And she said yes to doctor. I was like, oh, how did that happen? All right. More of your calls coming up. 866-408-7669. And I'm going to ask you if you are still middle class, if you think you are, because you may not be middle class. That's next on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
And I'm Mary Walter with you sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Don't forget my podcast on Tuesdays. It is live on YouTube and on Getter. Just look for Mary Walter Radio. Starts at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can participate. You can leave comments if you're watching live. We answer comments. You can ask questions of guests. Sometimes we talk politics. Sometimes we don't. It's whatever we feel like talking about. So we said we tend to have a good time. At least we, we think we're having a good time. And uh, you can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So uh, please subscribe to the channel and like the podcast. We'd appreciate that. So talking about the economy, and what is that your number one issue when it comes to 2024? Uh, a new poll by CNN found that the economy is a top issue. 42% of respondents saying that is the top issue. Immigration's number two at 12%. Then foreign policy, partisanship, and crime. Notice that the climate is nowhere on this list. I'm shocked that crime is only 6%. But if you don't have anything for people to rob, then crime pretty much solves itself, right? <laughs> I don't have anything left. You've gotten it all. There you go. Uh, what's your number one issue? When it comes to this, and, and it, well, I'm fascinated by Christmas bonuses. Never saw a Christmas bonus in my life. 866-408-7669. I did get a tweet at Mary Walter Radio from, where is it here? Um, Gregory says, he worked at a place that's now defunct in the 90s. He said, we Christmas gifts like a crystal elephant or a Waterford candy dish were given to em- employees where he worked in the 90s. They're defunct now. And that's probably because they gave away all their stuff for Christmas. But that used to be a big deal. I, you know, if you watch the old movies, they, they're Christmas bonus. Old movies, 1980s or early 90s, you know, waiting for the Christmas bonus. It's not doesn't happen anymore. Uh, let's go to Nebraska. Paul, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Good morning, Miss Walter. How are you? I'm doing great, but I don't have a Christmas bonus. Do you? You know, I don't. I'm retired uh, from education. But a few years ago, uh, our Board of Education, now you realize we live on the moon. We live in western Nebraska. So they uh, reached out to us, and they gave each employee uh, like a and it was not a lot, but man, it really, it was really just a gesture that was appreciated. And, and, uh, we had that a couple, a couple of years, but that, that is, you know what, that's the thing. The gesture is, makes you feel appreciated. I cannot tell you the number of bosses that on my way out the door, I said, you know what, all you had to do was say thank you or acknowledge that someone did a little bit extra that somebody was yeah. working more and giving you more, and it doesn't cost you anything, and you couldn't do it. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly the point. And, and you get a handshake and a, and a, a direct look in the eye and a thank you, and and uh, and that's probably why you're in the occupation. I guess it's 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 the, the simple things like that. So. Yeah. It's it, exactly, and it doesn't take much, but so many, um, so many bosses don't get it. And Paul, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you joining me. H- have a fantastic holiday. Um, listen, I, sh- I should have gotten a government job. My father told me get a government job because you retire early, you'll have a pension, and you can retire in your fifties, uh, and and you have this guaranteed income. And some, depending on wh- you know where you were employed and what you did, you get some sweet benefits packages that last forever. You don't have to sit and wait until sixty five when you hit social security, right? Because you've got insurance, you've got a great plan. Uh, let's head to Texas. Troy, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing just great. So so what is it for you? Is it the economy? Well, no. Uh, 
I live in Texas, and the, to- the economy is fine down here. I work for home builders, and you can't keep up with home builders. And honestly, I, I think everything is mindset where I think you made a comment that you got the best job you ever had under Trump, and then Biden came in and the job cut. Well, did the job cut have anything to do with COVID or anything like that? Actually, no. We had some of our best financials during COVID uh, because, uh, you know, in radio, people were listening to the radio. That's what they were doing on their way to work. You know, the the people who were, you know, still going into work. um, And but when things came out on the other side of it, a lot of uh, local businesses were no longer then buying advertising. So during COVID, it was great. When COVID ended was when it all went downhill. So, and you know, it's that, that's what happened. So there's your, there's your answer. Well, well, yeah, but you said it, there was a lot of the businesses that didn't make it through COVID that weren't buying advertising anymore. Well, where I happened to work and the people that were advertising, there was a lot of government advertising. There was a lot of, of that type of thing that were, um, COVID proof, if you will, because they're run by taxpayer dollars. So we had a lot of that. Well, the big question I was wanting to ask you is how illegal immigration uh, was your number two and you thought it uh, compromised the economic output. Well, uh, who's paying for their kids to go to school? Who's paying for them to go to the doctor? Who's paying to fly them all over the country? Who's paying to bus them all over the country? Who's paying for the cell phones we give them when they arrive in this country? Who's paying for the visa cards that they get when they arrive in this country? Who's paying for all of that? How does that affect your economy? Because how does it affect my economy? The federal government's paying for it. It's my money. That money's not going into schools. That money's not going into infrastructure. The government's going to come to me and want to raise my taxes because because of that. Also, it is affecting the rental market because these people now are being put into housing that's being not available for Americans now because we're renting apartments. There's hotels now that are being taken over entirely to house illegal immigrants. So, yeah, that drives up the price across the board. Got to run, Troy. Thank you so much. Have a great holiday. Have a wonderful holiday. I am back with you the day after Christmas here in for Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter, and thank you for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.